question I have as we start this message today is, why is it that good people, why is it that good people suffer and that bad people just seem to be able to get away with it? Why do good people suffer and bad people are allowed to keep doing bad things? Friends, for the past three weeks and three days, we've been watching what's been happening on the far side of the world. We've been watching this war happen on the other side of the globe, and the death toll continues to rise as innocent men, women, and children are being killed. As one of the growth members, the growth group members uh, of, our, our, of our group asked last week, they said, why is this happening? Why in the year 2022 is there so much evil in the world? Why is this happening? But even closer to home, as we draw closer to our own homes and to our own lives, why do good people suffer while bad people seem to get away with being bad? Why, do there, why are there people in your life and in mine who cheat in business and they get away with it while the honest guy is left paying the bills? Why is it that carelessness on someone else's part means trouble for you and you're left dealing with the consequences? Maybe someone's cheated you out of something that you deserved and there was no penalty for them. Why is that? Why did they get away with that? In life, it seems that there are bad people who are able to do bad things and they're able to get away with it and get off scot-free while other people are just left to suffer. The good people are left to suffer. If you've ever asked yourself this question or, or wondered why, why the good suffer and the bad get away with it, today's message is for you. Today's message is for you because even though this is how the world looks to us, our reality is very different. Our reality is very different, especially as people of faith. Our perspective on life includes God as people of faith. And when God is in the mix, there's a whole different level that life is lived on. When God is in the mix, we are brought to a whole different level in the way we understand the way the world works. In the beginning of this message series, I talked to you and I said that nowhere in the book of Esther is God mentioned. Not, not once does anyone call on the name of the Lord God. Not once do they call on God's name. But God is very present in this book of Esther. He's very present. And today we're going to see the power of God working slowly, consistently behind the scenes. In fact, one of the most consistent themes of this entire book is that God is always in charge. God is always in charge. Nothing escapes him. No person escapes his view. No action is ever hidden from God. As much as it appears to be true, the evil do not prosper and the wicked do not win. Our God is a just God. But when evil's winning, when evil is winning, and you look to the left and you look to the right, and you're overwhelmed because good people are getting beaten up and bad people are winning. They're making money. They're gaining followers on social media. They're going on trips. They have the better house. They get whatever they want. When that happens in life, how can you believe in a just God? A few weeks ago, I was watching a sermon by Pastor uh, Francis Chan. And Francis Chan did something that I've seen before, but I, for some reason what he did uh, just struck me, and I wanted to bring it in front of you. It really resonated with, you, with me. He, he grabbed a, a string, and he grabbed this string, and he said, this string represents time. 
And he said, this is all eternity. He said, what happens in our life is we live in this moment right here. And for some reason, we focus everything on this moment as we're living our lives. If this is all time and this is our life, we focus here. But here's the thing. If this is all eternity, God is in charge of everything. But we focus on this part right here. As a people, we tend to like closure. Right? We like closure. We, we want to see the people who do bad things in our lives. This is where we live. If someone does something bad in this life, we want to see them get punished for what they're doing. And that makes sense because we're living in this timeline, but we forget that God is in charge of all eternity. God is in charge of it all. To borrow from Max Lucado's book, the basis of this message series, You Were Made for This Moment, he says, we see our need for answers in the world through the words of the psalmist. If we look at Psalm 35, the psalmist says, Oh Lord, how long will you look on at our lives and do nothing? That's what the psalmist cried out. Or in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah asks this question, Why do the wicked, why do the wicked seem to prosper, O God? Do evildoers get a free pass? Do the oppressors get to walk free? Do the Hamans of the Bible and the Hitlers of the world, do the lynch mobs and the vigilantes, do they get to get away with murder? Because it sure seems like they do. It seems like they do. But when we ask these questions of the Bible, the Bible has a resounding answer, and it says no. It says no to these questions. According to Acts chapter 17, God has set a day when he will judge the world. He set a day when he will do that. So the aggressor who took advantage of you, God knows. The bigot who raged, the bully who belittled, God knows. The government official who embezzled money and stole from the poor, God knows. The innocent who work in houses and labor camps or the abuse of victims of sex trafficking, God knows. God knows them all. He is a just God, and God is angry with every wicked person every day. That is what the scripture tells us. That's Psalm 7. But when they get away with evil, when they get away with evil, how do you believe in a just God? In our story of Esther, Haman has conspired against Mordecai. That's what we've been learning. Haman has been conspiring against Mordecai and all the Jews in an effort to kill them and to wipe them out. Mordecai has reached out to his cousin Esther and he's asked her to speak to King Xerxes on their behalf. Esther spent three days fasting and praying, inviting the rest of the community to, to come with her and to pray with her. And then she approached her husband. She approached her husband, her husband and she was trusting God to take care of the rest. King Xerxes, he received Esther and he told her, he said, my beautiful wife, I will do whatever you request, whatever you want, I will grant you. And her response, she says, I'd like to throw a banquet for you and for Haman before I tell you what I want. And wow, this delighted uh, both of the men tremendously and they accepted and they had a great time at her banquet. And at the end of the night, her, her husband said, honey, what can I give you? What, what, what would you like? And she said, I'll tell you, but come back tomorrow night for another meal. So they said, great, let's do this again. Okay, so they went back a following night. And this is where we pick up our story in Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. So the king and Haman 
went to Queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your response? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. And Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I would remain quiet. For that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Queen Esther replied, This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and the queen. Haman had been plotting to wipe out Mordecai and all of the Jews, and in a move that nobody saw coming, the tide turns and Haman became the one fearing for his own life. If any of you have Jewish friends, Jewish neighbors, uh, perhaps, many of them just celebrated Purim, just this past week, Wednesday. Purim. Purim is a holiday which celebrates the story of Esther. According to Rabbi Benjamin Berger, who is the vice president of the Jewish education at Hillel International, Jews celebrate this day when the tables were turned, where, we, where what we thought was going to be the destruction ended up becoming the salvation of all the people. This is what Purim is. This is why they celebrate. Because what was supposed to be the destruction turned out to become the salvation of all the Jewish people. The story of Esther is a story of hope. It's a story that speaks to the hearts of people who are oppressed people who are worn out, people who are beaten down. You don't have to be Jewish to understand this story. If you are a person who's been feeling low, this story is for you. How do you believe in a God who is just? It takes faith. It takes faith. Faith that we're not in charge, but God is. Faith that God sees all, that God doesn't just see this part, but God sees all eternity. All eternity belongs to God. So it takes faith for us to believe beyond what we see here in this timeline. Not just our part of history, but everything from the moment time came into existence until it is over. It takes faith for us to believe that about God. And it takes trust. It takes trust for, for us to believe the one who is in charge is good and that he is gracious and that he will do what he says he will do. Did you know that in the Bible, the word wrath, God's wrath, is mentioned 150 times. But his mercy, God's mercy, is only mentioned 32 times. God's wrath is mentioned 152 times. His mercy is mentioned only 32 times. Those numbers stand out to me. And here's why. For sure, it is important for us to declare God's goodness and to declare his mercy. But it is a mistake for us to discount his justice. It is a mistake for us to discount his justice. Again, as Max Lucado puts it, God is gracious to those who trust him, but he is serious about punishing those who dismiss him. He is serious about this. Our trust in God's goodness and his fairness is what we bring to the table. How do you believe in a God who is 
just. It takes faith. It takes trust. But it also takes action on our part. As Christians, we don't stand on the sidelines in this world and watch, hoping that maybe someday God will handle that problem that we see in front of us. We don't just stand on the sidelines. We are called by God to act and to be involved. We believe in a God who is just because he allows us to co-create justice with him in the world. Years ago when I was in college, I served in a choral ministry group called Musicon Ministry. In fact, uh, earlier today, uh, before the service, I had mentioned the choral, uh, the, the, ser- the concert that we're going to do on um, Friday, the 22nd, the man who's coming was part of this group with me. And the name of this choral group was called Musicon Ministries. And we toured as a college group. We toured as leaders for high school students. And we took them and we sang in songs. We sang, in, uh, we sang songs in churches, a musical drama in churches. And we went to a prison one time. We went to schools. Anywhere where we were welcomed, we would share this musical uh, drama. And one year, the drama that we performed was called Not Forgotten. And the story of Not Forgotten was about a janitor who was stuck in an airport. He cleaned an airport for a living, and he was stuck in an airport when it got frozen in from a bad storm. And there were four students. There were four students who were stuck in a hospital with him, and he was kind of in the background doing his cleaning, and he was watching all that was going on in the airport with these four students. And he got to observe their ins and outs and their conversations and and how they dealt with being stuck in the airport. And at the end of the drama, all the students... All the students found a way to get off on their connecting flights. They all got to get out except for one student. As all the other friends that had disappeared kind of went to their different places, one student remained and he sat there. And he observed, this janitor observed, that the student didn't go anywhere because he was homeless. And he had no place to go. He had made friends with those other students who were traveling and cutting through, but he was hiding out in the airport to keep warm. And as the drama crescendos and it comes to the top in the final act, Joe is found in the corner praying to God. He's saying, God, would you please send someone to take care of this kid? Would you please send someone to help this kid, anybody, someone who can provide what this kid needs, who can take him home. And during this song, during this prayer that Joe is is praying, he realized that he was the one that God had sent. He was the one that God had put there to help out. Joe was the one who was put there for such a time as this, and he was being the person being called to help that student. Friends, we're all put on this earth for such a time as this to be Jesus to the world around us. And we have an opportunity to co-create justice with God. How do we do that? We look for opportunities to act. We look for opportunities to act. This past week, I wish I'd put the pictures up here for you to see, but uh, if you want to, go to our Facebook page and just look. There are several pictures of the collection of items that came in, not just from us, but we opened our doors and the community rallied and dropped off just, just boxes and boxes of things. This past week, we've been collecting supplies for Ukraine and, and more are coming every single day. This is a good thing that we've been a part of, and I'm so glad to celebrate uh, that we can be helping this way. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, a woman named Courtney Como was here. Courtney is from uh, the CASA program, the court-appointed special advocate. She helps the foster care kids in Pasea County. And so we were helping this organization, uh, and, and a few of you I know have shown interest in how you can become an advocate for CASA, which is something very special. And so if you're considering that or have considered that, thank you for that. 
we can co-create justice in a world as we partner with Kassen and with others. Our, our partnership with Kumek continues to blossom and continues to grow. We're building a relationship with this tremendous organization that is helping people not just find food, but they're helping people find dignity. They're helping people find wholeness and healing. And personally, you can volunteer your time anytime at Kumek. In fact, I'll, I'll extend this invitation. If anyone wants to go to Kumek uh, this week or next week, uh, let me know, and we will go onto their website. We will volunteer for uh, an hour or two down at Kumac, and we'll go help them sort cans or whatever they need us to do. We'll go do that, and that could be something we could do as a church. So we will, we can do that. Just email me and let me know that you want to go, and, and we'll put that together. The, friends, these are things that we are doing as a church. We're looking for opportunities to co-create with God. But you know what? Here's the thing: you and I, we are the Joe, the janitor, in our own story. You are the Joe janitor in your own story. God can use you to co-create right where you are. You just have to ask yourself, am I willing to believe that God's in charge? Am I willing to believe that God is in charge of it all? Can I start with that belief and can I trust, can I trust that he will act justly in his time? Can I trust that God will act justly in his time, not just in my time, but can I trust that God will act justly in his time? And then if I can have faith and if I can trust in that, will I act on that belief by co-creating justice right where I am? In the closing pages of Max Lucado's book, he speaks about, um, in, in chapter 8, he speaks about this issue of co-creating justice. And Max says, justice happens to the degree that we align ourselves with God's hands of fairness. What a great quote. Justice happens to the degree that we align ourselves with God's hands of justice and fairness. When you align yourself with God's hands of fairness, you teach a disabled child to walk. You teach a disabled child to read. You care for the elderly whose sight is fading or diminishing. Why you rally for support for the marginalized or, or for the oppressed. You accomplish something that will continue into the world to come when you co-create justice with God. Like Esther, we are all put on this earth for such a time as this. In order for us to share God's love, to share God's hope, to share God's grace and express our faith in Jesus to the world around us. And so remember that God allows us to partner with him, to stand up for what's right. And so this week, look for those opportunities to do justice in your world, to be brave, to stand up, to speak out when God gives you the opportunity and gives you the chance. As co-creators and carriers of God's grace, we silence the evil of the world when we respond with kindness, with hope, and with love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this day. Uh, God, I thank you for uh, this incredible story of Esther and what we are learning through it. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to um, see the, the section of history that we are living in right now as an important opportunity for us to do things that would last for all eternity. Lord, we are so grateful to you for uh, the lives that we live, and we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hands and feet to move to love the world the way you want us to love. We pray this all today in Jesus' name. Amen.